Well, good evening, church. As always, thank you for participating in our Wednesday night uh, Bible study. I'm excited to continue this series talking about resisting, resisting the devil, resisting the flesh, and resisting the world, the three enemies to our soul. I, the, this chapter in the book uh, started off with uh, talking about Napster. You remember Napster? Uh, and it made me it made me think about uh, something that I did when I was when I was younger. When before I think most people in here remember before computer software was an app. Uh, we we used to load it on our computers with uh, with a CD-ROM. Before that, a floppy disk. You know, um, and and I would always and really never thought anything about it. When a friend would get a new game or a new piece of software, they would load it on their computer, and then they would give me their disk, and I would load it on my computer, and then they'd probably give it to two or three other people, and they would load it on their computer. Even, even I think even, I was sitting there thinking, did we do that? Even in, in church offices, I think we would buy software, and we would share it amongst everybody. Everybody would load it from that one disk, and then I found out, oh, you're not supposed to do that. That's, that's illegal. You're supposed to load it on one computer. You're not supposed to share it with everybody, and, and once I found out that that's illegal, you're not supposed to do that, there were still times when I think I was like, well, maybe it's not really illegal. I'm not really sure. And the more convinced I got, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that. And then friends would give me a disc and they would say, hey, load this on your computer. And I would, um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to. And having that conversation was really weird because it was like I didn't want them to think I was, you know, I... I going to get them in trouble or that I thought they were bad people. And so I was uncomfortable saying, I'm not really comfortable with that. So even in those situations, sometimes I think I would just, you know, go along. And, and it was so easy back then that companies figured out how to stop that, I think now, but, but it was easy to share movies and music and software, and we would just kind of all pass it around. And sometimes people knew you're not supposed to do that. Other times maybe they didn't know, but even if you told them, hey, you're really not supposed to do that. The only justification we had was three words. See if you, what, what goes in that blank right there. Everybody. Everybody, right? Everyone does it, right? Everyone does it. It's funny. We talk, to, we talk to teenagers about peer pressure all the time. We don't necessarily think about that when it comes to adults, but we're all, we're all susceptible to that, aren't we? And, and that's our justification is everyone, everyone does it. That's just... It's just what everyone does. Don't be, don't be a stick in the mud. Don't, don't ruin our fun. You know, don't make us feel bad. Everybody does it or everyone does it. Human beings are incredibly social creatures, aren't we? We're incredibly social creatures. We do what other people do. I, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of positives to that. Um, but, but I think we probably do that because we really, we really want to belong. Don't we? We really want to belong. And that's why having the conversation where you, you know something is wrong, but you just kind of go along with it because everybody else that you know is doing it, you don't want to be the one that stands out. You don't want to be the one that's weird. You don't want to be the one that doesn't go along with everyone else. And so we do nearly anything we can to belong, and then we try to find ways, rational ways, to rationalize it and to justify it because we've gone along with everyone else. We might put it this way. Human behavior is often more relational than rational. 
Uh, we we want to argue with that probably and be like, well, I don't know. I'm a pretty rational person. Well, hold on. I mean, a lot of the things that we do, we do because someone else is doing it. Even when, we, even when we're priding ourselves, we often say things like, well, think for yourself. Don't go along with group think. Think for yourself. I mean, really, even when you're doing that, even when you're saying, I'm not going to go along with these people, whatever idea you are going to go along with, you probably got from someone else, right? You got from someone else and you said, I'm going to go along with these people instead of these people. And, and scripture bears this out. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, right? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Paul said, Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals or good character. And he was talking about false teachers, but that's true in lots of areas, isn't it? Bad company corrupts good morals. The companion of the wise people become wise and companions of fools become or suffer, suffer harm. Psychologists have an interesting term and the more I read about it, the more it, it's interesting how they don't really know what it is that they're observing, but they call it social contagion. Social contagion, you know, like a contagion, like a, a virus, something that is contagious. And, and there is something that they observe in people in that we imitate each other and we do what we hear other people doing or that we see other people doing and behaviors and attitudes and different things will spread amongst a group even when it doesn't really benefit you in any way. You're just doing what other people are doing because they're doing it and it spreads kind of like a virus amongst a group of people. And now with social media and with television and all of the, the media that we have at our disposal, things can spread throughout a culture like crazy, can't they? And we think, why, why did anybody ever start doing that? Why did people wear that? Why do people listen to that? Why do people do that? It doesn't benefit you in any way, but it just kind of spreads like a virus. Because again, human beings have a tendency to sometimes be more relational then we are rational. It's not really a good reason why we chose to do that. A lot of times with these social contagions, we don't, there's not, it's not an intentional choice we made. We didn't sit down and weigh the pros and cons. We just, we just did it because we saw other people doing it. And again, we give teenagers a really hard time about that, but adults are no different. I mean, the clothes that you're wearing, you're probably not the only people in the world that has that shirt, right? You're not the only person in the world that has those pants or those shoes and the car that you're driving. Chances are there's other people with a very similar car because we, we imitate each other, don't we? And sometimes in, in ways that are just mundane and just ordinary, don't really have any positive or negative. Other times in positive ways, we imitate each other and other times in very negative and harmful ways. And we don't even really realize that we're doing it. We don't stop to question, is this a good thing? Is this a beneficial thing? Where did this come from? Why, why are we all doing this? Why are we all going along with this? Why do we all believe this? Why is this our value system? Why is this our behavior? Why are we acting in this way? And when everyone really is doing something, Sometimes it's like the fish that was asked about water and the fish said, what's water, right? Because you're in it. You're swimming in it all the time. You don't even know what water is. You don't know what air is. It's just what you breathe all the time. It's everywhere until you're somewhere else and you think, oh, oh, that's, 
That's what I've been swimming in this whole time. That's what I've been breathing this whole time. That's what's been all around me. We simply like to be like the people around us. And that's what we mean when we say the world. When we say the world, the world, that English word, and the word that we translate cosmos from the Greek, it could mean several different things. It could mean the planet Earth, right, the world. It could mean, it could mean the people in the world, like for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Talking about the individuals in the world. But when we're talking about the world in this class, when we're talking about the enemy of our soul, here's what we mean. The world, something like this, refers to the sum total of all human societies in which the accepted and even expected values, attitudes, and behaviors are contrary to God's will. Just kind of think about that for a second. Human societies, all human societies, this is true of all human societies, and always has been, that all human societies have accepted and expected, not just accepted, not just like tolerated or put up with, but expected, like they expect you to have this value system. They expect you to behave in this way. They expect you to have this this sort of attitude because it's just what everyone does. This is what we do. This is what we do in this culture. This is what we do in this society. Why would you do anything different? Why would you question it, right? And all human societies, to one degree or other, and they, they, they differ in different societies, what, what sorts of attitudes or behaviors or values that that society might accept or expect. But all human societies have, to one degree or another, values and behaviors and attitudes that are contrary to the will of God. And, and this is what we're talking about when we say part of the problem, part of the, the reason that you struggle with sin, part of the reason I struggle with sin, part of it is the devil, right? It's demonic forces that there is, there is evil in the unseen realm and, and that evil is, is doing something to us and in us. That, that evil lies to us and plants seeds of, of lies in our world. So that's part of it is the devil. And part of it is, as we've been talking about, the flesh. That part of us that's lazy. That part of us that wants to be instantly gratified. That part of us that desires things and wants things and craves things and pursues things that aren't good and that are toxic and that we practice these things, and before long, that becomes our character. So part of it's the devil, part of it's the flesh, and then part of it is the world. That these become, as Comer puts it in his book, these become normalized in society. They become normal, right? And, and every society has some values some values that are good, right? Every society has values that are good. Every society has behaviors that are good and attitudes that are good and that would line up with truth, right? We call that common grace, that, that everybody can sort of find some element of truth and beauty and, and do things that are good. So every society has some things that are good and right and beautiful, but then every society also has values and behaviors and attitudes that are contrary to God's revealed will. And this is what we say is, is, is an enemy of our soul, something that we have to resist. We have to resist conformity. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, right, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that all around us, like the air we breathe, like the water we drink, without even questioning it or thinking about it, there are attitudes and behaviors and values all around us that are contrary to the will of God. And we, we have to recognize those and resist those. I want to go through some examples of things you'll see in our text tonight as we go through, but this is the way of the world that the early church rejected. So going back not only to the first century and the apostolic writings, but, but also as you go back into church history the first couple hundred years, and you, you see they recognize that the world is this influence on their soul and that they had to resist the world, the things that had become normalized in every society that they had to resist. Number one, we see over and over again, is idolatry in all of its forms, right? Idolatry in all of its forms. Again, Paul would go to, Peter would go to different cities and, and would have to deal with and address worship of other gods, other gods other than Yahweh. And, and for those especially that were trying to come out of idolatry, again, this, this, this might be the one that for us, especially when we think of specifically as idolatry, like idolatry that is actually bowing down to a statue, for us that might be a little bit hard for us to imagine maybe um, what that would be like, but imagine if that was, was everything, I mean, the Jewish people that were living in places like Rome, they got to the point where it's like they can't eat any meat because they didn't know where that meat came from. Like it was probably sacrificed to some god or another. And so they just like, I can't eat meat because I don't know how it was prepared. I don't know what kind of meat it is. I don't know what god it was sacrificed to because it became so normal, so normal. It, it, that's just the way everything was. There was a, there was a it, when you went to Athens, there were idols everywhere. There were shrines everywhere. There were statues everywhere. There were monuments everywhere. This was just society that everyone burned incense to or offered sacrifices to some god or another or paid honor or respect to one god or another. Eventually, even the emperor was worshipped as a god. It became incredibly normal in their society. And so breaking free from that, resisting that, Coming out of that, you had to rethink a lot of things. Like, okay, where do I eat dinner now? And is it okay if I eat this meat if I don't know for sure where it came from? Like, is it okay if I eat it and maybe it was sacrificed to an idol, but I didn't know that. Is that okay? Or maybe I shouldn't? Or can I go to this person's house? And what if they tell me this was sacrificed to an idol? What do I do then? It was incredibly challenging. Number two, Sexual behavior outside of the marriage bed of one man and one woman for life. Anything other than one man and one woman for life, Bible calls sexual immorality. And, and again, we, we understand that that sexual immorality is normalized in our culture in lots of ways, right? Divorce, um, uh, same-sex relationships. We, we could go down the list. We, and, and it's normalized in our society, but again, if you had lived in the first century world, you might be shocked by the, the sexual practices that went on. Men that believed that they could pretty much sleep with whoever they wanted to be with. 
If they had the power over someone, they could be with that person. If they wanted to have a couple of extra lovers or if they had slaves, servants, concubines that they wanted to be with, that was fine, male, female, it didn't really matter. If they wanted to leave a spouse because they didn't please them anymore, they would leave that spouse and go find another one or just add to what they already had. There were were idol temples where there were orgies going on. I mean, again, breaking out of this it might be in some ways like, like learning to live without electricity. It had become so normal that it wasn't questioned or even thought about. And again, we may look around at our world today and say, okay, well, are we going back in that sort of direction where, where it's become normal, it's become accepted and expected that your sexual ethics will say, well, if you want to do something, then do something. If you're an adult and you want to be with another consenting adult, who's, who's to tell you that that's wrong? And that, again, in our culture is becoming widely accepted. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the world. Number three, greed. Over and over and over again. This is one of the characteristics of the world. Materialism. Self-indulgence eating whatever you want, indulging yourself and your own appetites, and a lack of concern for the poor and the exploited. Jesus told a parable, remember, or a story, we don't know if it's a parable or not, but rich man and Lazarus, what was the rich man's sin? Well, if you're reading it through our eyes, you might look at it and say, I don't know what his sin was. What was his sin? Well, his sin was that he was filthy rich, And he had a poor man at his gate that wanted just a crumb of his food, and he didn't care. He was apathetic about the poor. And that's what the world does. That's not what God's people are supposed to do. God's people are supposed to be radically concerned, radically concerned for the poor all around them. If they're being exploited, if they're being taken advantage of, if they don't have what they need for their daily needs, then it's wrong for me to continue to crave and and accumulate wealth. If there are people around me that it's in my power to help them and bless them and to take care of them, then it's my responsibility to do that. And so greed is one of the characteristics of the world. Number four, ethnic divisions and claims of superiority, whether that was Greek superiority or Roman superiority or Jewish superiority, didn't matter. The the church was this multi-ethnic family that said it is wrong to think that your ethnic group is better than another ethnic group and for there to exist strife between you, for there to be any arrogance or pride or strife, this is wrong. Now again, Again, we don't have to look very far, do we, in our own past and history and even present for us to see that these kinds of things are the world even in our culture. Whether it's greed and the exploitation of people, enslaving people, or ethnic divisions and claims of superiority, this is the world. But again, when it becomes so normalized, racism became so normalized in the Western world that it was taken for granted. It was assumed to be true. It was taught in schools. It was taught in churches. It was practiced everywhere. There was this assumption that certain ethnic groups were better than, superior to other groups. And so it didn't matter how these other groups were treated because they were naturally inferior. 
And now we listen to that and we think, how did you, how did we, how could anyone become so callous to think that? But it became so integrated into everything that was practiced in the courthouse, in the schoolhouse, in the church house, and in everybody's house, that it was just normal, accepted and expected a value system, behaviors and attitudes that are contrary to the will of God. All of these things over and over and over again in the New Testament, we see these are the characteristics of the world. And God's people have to resist these things. God's people have to oppose these things. God's people have to speak out against these things, idolatry, sexual, sexual immorality, greed, ethnic divisions. Number five, infanticide and abortion. I mean, you can go back second century, third century. This was a problem even then. And Christian people said, I'll take the babies. I'll take the babies. And when babies were exposed, infanticide, when they were taken out into the wilderness and left to die because, oh, we didn't want that one or we didn't want that one because it was a girl, or we didn't want that one because it was a boy, or we didn't want that one because of whatever reason, then Christian people would go and rescue those babies and raise them. Because this is what the world does. Number six, violence of any sort. Violence of any sort. Violence is what the world does to their enemies, whereas God's people love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. And so these types of things, and again, again, you can look around at our world and our world and, and every society and culture, and you can see aspects of these things, can't we? But the worst part of it, the worst part of it isn't that the world is worldly. That's not the worst part of it. Of course, the world is worldly. We'll talk more about that in a second. Of course, the world is worldly. What's the worst part is when Christian people have been influenced by the world and have adopted these mentalities, have accepted these things to just say, well, that's just, it's just what you do. How could it be any different? That's, that's, just, that's just the value system that we have. That, that's, just, that's just the behavior that we, we have. That, that's just, just the attitudes that we have. And is there anything different than that? This is, this is our culture. This is our society. And when Christian people can't see it for what it is and accept it and even find ways. We've done this, haven't we? Christian people, I mean, have, have taken Scripture and used Scripture to justify worldly behavior attitudes and behaviors and values that scripture says is worldly christian people have used scripture taken out of context twisted and distorted and perverted and use that to justify conformity with the world to just say there's no other way to do it this is just the way things are just the way things are this is just what people do there's no other way to to do it there's no other way to live there is there is another way to live. It's hard, and you have to sacrifice so much, but there is another way to live, and you have to resist the way of the world. Let's look at a few passages. Look at uh, John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. John chapter 15 and verse 18. The world, and again, when we say the world, we mean the sum total of all human societies in which the accepted and expected values, attitudes, behaviors are contrary to God's world. When, when you stand out 
And when you live differently, again, if you are a, if you are a monotheist and you only worship Yahweh in a, in a, in a society that, that believes in a pantheon of gods and worships a pantheon of gods, and you say, I worship only one God, you know what they called you? An atheist. Because you don't believe in their gods. And you're a traitor. Because these are the gods that protect us, and you're not praying with us, and you're not sacrificing with us, and you're not burning incense with us. You're a traitor. And they hated you because you didn't honor their gods. And if something bad happens here, you know whose fault it is? Yours, you Christian people, because you don't worship our gods, and they're mad at us because you don't worship them. Or if you live in a society that says, hey, man, what's this one man and one woman thing? That No then you living a different lifestyle is, even without saying a word, an indictment on their behavior, on their attitudes, on their value system. Some of you, some of you remember a time. Some of you remember a time. I'm thankful I don't remember a time like this, but some of you remember a time where the value system around race and ethnicity was so upside down that if you even had a differing view, if you opposed the way that most people thought and the way that most people behaved, then you became their enemy. And this is always the way it's been, that when God's people resist the way of the world and say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm not going to go along to get along and I'm going to do things differently, sometimes without even saying a word. You don't have to say, hey, you're going to hell. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Even without saying a word, your behavior is often an indictment against theirs. John 15 and verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And you've, you've experienced that, haven't you? You've experienced both sides of it. I have too, where, where you've, you've done the right thing and you didn't go along with the values or the behaviors or the attitudes of the people around you and someone hated you for it. And, and you've also not resisted and you've conformed. Not because you didn't know any better, but because you just didn't want to take a stand. You didn't want to be different. You didn't want to be weird. You didn't want to, be, you didn't want to stand out. And you've conformed. And we've, done, we've probably done both. Here's what Jesus prays in John 17, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you, he's talking to the Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. See what Jesus is praying? I'm not not asking you to help them escape out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them from being influenced by the world. To keep them from the evil one to sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. John chapter 18 and verse 36, Pilate is talking to Jesus about being a king. You're a king. People are saying you're the king of the Jews. And here's what Jesus answered. My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus isn't saying that his kingdom isn't on the planet Earth. <laughs> of course, his kingdom is, is here. We're, we're part of the kingdom, right? But it's not of the world. It's not from the world. And, and Jesus says the biggest indication that his kingdom is not of the world or from the world is that we don't fight. We don't fight. That's what other kingdoms do, right? That's how other kingdoms come into power. That's how other kingdoms come into the world. Every kingdom, every worldly kingdom, every kingdom of the world or from the world has come into being by killing someone else. Ours is the only kingdom that has come into being by our king saying, kill me. I'll lay down my life for my people. And I'm going to tell them to take up their cross, not their sword, but their cross and follow me. It's a radically different kingdom that's not of the world or from the world. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or sw and swindlers or idolaters. See some of the things we talked about in our list. Or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul understands, Jesus understands, you're still going to have to live in the world, right? And if you live in the world, if you go to school in the world, or you, or you work in the world, or you do business in the world, if you're married to people in the world, like you're going to have to associate with worldly people because worldly people are worldly. Worldly people are worldly. And our, our fight isn't against worldly people. Our fight is against worldliness. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against them. And the fact that they're worldly people that you do business with, that, that's good. There's no way that they're going to see the light or that they're going to be influenced by the salt unless you're around worldly people. Like you're going to have to be around worldly people. And so Paul says, hey, when I said don't associate with sexually immoral people or idolaters or greedy or covetous people, like I wasn't saying them. Like go love them. Bless them. Show them what Jesus is all about. So, so what, what do you mean, Paul? When you said that, what, what did you mean? Well, he means don't let it in the church. Don't let worldliness into the church. Don't allow yourselves to be conformed to this world. Look at verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. See, this is what we're saying, isn't it? It's one thing for the world to be worldly. Of course the world is going to be worldly. Paul says, I don't have nothing to do with judging them. Yet sometimes that's all we spend our time doing, isn't it? That world out there, you know, that world, they're so worldly, and those worldly people are just being worldly, and we just shake our fingers and wring our hands about worldly people being worldly. Paul says, I've got nothing to do with judging them, punishing them, disciplining them, 
but I have everything to do with, you have everything to do with disciplining the people in here that are being influenced by the world, that are becoming sexually immoral or greedy or idolaters or, here's one, revilers. What does that mean? Or remember how we said that worldliness is violence? Worldly people are violent people. That's how worldly people operate. That's how worldly kingdoms operate. Reviling is verbal violence. Abusing one another verbally. And church, maybe, I got a lot of concerns. A lot of concerns about worldliness in the church. But this might be pretty close to the top of the list where we've normalized reviling people. We've normalized saying horrible things about people. And we think, well, it doesn't really matter because they're a celebrity or they're a politician or, you know, they're whatever I can say. What? No, no, it's, it's not just about the harm you do them. It's, a fact that it's, it's the fact that you're normalizing it. You act like it's not a big deal to tweet something, to Facebook something, to say something, to talk about people in a way that is abusive, that doesn't reflect the fact that you believe that that person you're talking about is an image bearer of God. It's not just what it does to them because maybe they'll never hear your words, but you hear your words and it is corrupting you. You are, you are being conformed to the way of the world. So we could talk all we want to about the normalization of sexual immorality, and that's a huge problem, but so is the normalization of reviling people. I know I'm stepping on toes, I'm stepping on mine. Because it just becomes normal that that's the way we talk about our quote-unquote enemies. And Jesus says, love them, bless them, do good to them, speak evil of no one. Because it corrupts you. You are being conformed. When you participate in sexual immorality, you're being conformed to the world. When you participate in verbal or physical violence, you're being conformed to the world. When you participate in greed and materialism and self-indulgence, you're being conformed to the world. When you're apathetic about the plight of your neighbor, you're being conformed to the world. Here's what James says. Man, it gets even tougher. James 4 and verse 4. You thought it was bad already. Here you go. You adulterous, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Again, James isn't saying don't have friends that aren't Christians. That's not what James is saying. Friendship in the ancient world was about partnership. Friendship in the ancient world was about alliance with factions and parties and groups and systems and ideologies. This is how you know when you're becoming friends with the world. What do we do for our friends? When somebody is our friend, we minimize their weaknesses and we overemphasize their strengths, don't we? That's what we do for our friends. We say, no, 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 don't look at that. That's, that's not so bad. We kind of try to cover over their weaknesses and we try to overemphasize their strengths. Do we find ourselves doing that with certain factions or groups or parties or ideologies in the world and saying, yeah, 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 they're not perfect, but hide those weaknesses and emphasize those strengths? James says, 
You're doing this. And in doing this, it's adultery. Because you're saying, I want my alliance with them. I want my alliance with this group. I want my alliance with these people. I want my, my alliance with this system. I want my alliance with this ideology. I want my alliance with these rich people. I want my alliance with whomever because they can protect me. They can provide for me. And he says, that's adultery. That's like a woman saying, now, honey, I love you. I love you, but I really want to stay at this guy's house because he's really strong and he has lots of money. And, you know, I still love you and I still want to be married to you, but I also want to hang out with this guy. That's adultery. And James says, when you're building these alliances with the world, you're committing adultery with God. It's enmity with God. We have to decide whose friend are we going to be? With whom are we going to make an alliance? With Jesus or with the world? Again, that doesn't mean don't be friends with non-Christians. It means show them a better way. Show them a better way. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. But if we judged ourselves truly... We would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is why God disciplines us, because the world, all of the systems and the, the strengths and the kingdoms and the empires and the nations, it's all, it's all going away. It's crumbling. God is going to judge it all for all of its value systems that are corrupt, for all of its behaviors that are corrupt, for all of its attitudes that are corrupt and sinful and contrary to God's will, it's all going to be judged and it's all passing away. And Paul says, God doesn't want you to be condemned along with them. He wants you to be sanctified and not partnered with them. And he's disciplining you so that you're not condemned along with the world. 1 John chapter 2, 16 and 17, we'll close. For all that's in the world... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world, listen, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We, we see it, don't we? We see it. And people in every culture and every era have seen it. And if we're friends with the world, it makes us really anxious because we say, this can't, this can't go away. This can't, this can't crumble. This can't fall. I got to hold on to it. I got to find every way and do everything I can to keep everything from falling apart. And from the very beginning, God has told his people, it's all going away. It's all passing away along with all of its desires, all of its passions, the, the sinful values and behaviors and attitude. It's all disappearing. But if you do the will of God, if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind rather than conform to this world, then you will live forever. Amen. And isn't that a, an incredible piece? See, last week we talked about walking by the Spirit. And that's what you feel. That's what you have when you walk by the Spirit is a peace that passes understanding. But in order to have that peace, we have to, we have to intentionally decide, I will not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world. Father, we confess to you our adultery, our friendship with the world. And we ask, Father, that you discipline us that we might not be condemned along with the world. Help us, Father, to show our friends and our family and our neighbors in the world a better way, 
Help us to be light and salt. Help us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Help us, Father, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and not conform to this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.